as a boy, when I was five and six years old, I absolutely loved Enchanted Forest. I thought it was enchanted. It felt magical to me. Uh, it's on Route 3 in Rhode Island. Have any of you ever been to Enchanted Forest? Because I don't think it's a thing anymore, right? I think it's, it's not a thing anymore. It was an amusement park for uh, little boys and girls, and my grandparents would bring me and my younger brother at the time uh, often. We would go pretty often. And the thing that I love about Enchanted Forest, more than anything else, had nothing to do with the rides that were there. If you've been to, um, oh, what is the name of the park up in Conway, New Hampshire that we all go to? Storyland. It's like a mini Storyland. That's what Enchanted Forest is like on Route 3 in the middle of nowhere, Rhode Island. Uh, it's long gone. I think it's just leaves now. Uh, but it was like a mini Storyland. Loved it there as a boy. My favorite thing at uh, Enchanted Forest, though, had nothing to do with the rides or the terrible food that my grandparents would buy for me there, as much fun as all that stuff was. My favorite part of Enchanted Forest was, I know this sounds crazy, it was the paved walking path. If you went all the way into the park and all the way to the, pack, the back of the park, all the way past all the little mini-scale rides that were designed for your elementary age size body, there was a short paved walking path that would wander through the woods of the middle of nowhere of Rhode Island. And I absolutely loved that walking path because I would walk hand in hand with my pup, World War II vet, fought his way across Europe, and never talked about it, a man that I dearly loved. And I loved it because I could match his stride with mine. <laughs> and we would walk together. And I was only this big, and of course, Pup was a full-grown man, and like I mentioned, uh, uh, my grandfather. Walking on that trail with my Pup, matching my stride with his. I loved it. It's my favorite memory of the Enchanted Forest. We're in the middle of a three-week series that we began last week that's entitled Get Up and Go to Bed. We're talking about the biblical principles that we can dig deep in found in Ephesians chapter 6, specifically verse 4, where we're able, because at this time of the year, we're going through a transition, especially if you have little ones or school-aged children, but even if you don't, where we're in a season of transition, and honestly, for the love of God, what we really need is for the troops to get up in the morning, present themselves in a timely fashion, leave, come back, enjoy their dinner, and then go to bed without causing World War III. We just need them to get up and go to bed. This is the transition, this is the time, this is the season in which we're living. The Bible has a lot to say about having households where our children and our, our paces and our times together can have order and decency about them. It is possible to get up and go to bed and go about the routines of this transitional season using Scripture as our guide. And so last week I introduced this concept to you. It's the home run verse for the series. It's really the only verse that we're going to be talking about uh, today and when we conclude this series next week, it's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Words are on the screen, and it simply says, Fathers, mothers, parents, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This week we're focusing on the first half of that verse. Next week we're concluding with the second half of that verse. What does it mean for consistent training and instruction of the Lord? This week we're focusing on what does it mean to not inspire or frustrate or lead our children to anger. We mentioned last week that when we think about anger in our children, almost every time we think about it, we're coming at the perspective where our children 
made us angry. And yet the command that Paul gives the church in Ephesus is that we don't make our children angry. And the natural response to that is our children should be lucky to be alive. The last thing that I should be worrying about is whether or not they're mad at me. If they would just do the thing, then maybe I wouldn't be angry, maybe they wouldn't be angry, maybe they wouldn't be frustrated. If they were more obedient, which the Bible says a few verses ahead of this verse, why can't that be the theme verse of this series? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can I get an amen? Why aren't we talking about that right now? It's because we're talking about the commands that we as mom and dad can do something about. We know our children are commanded to be obedient, but what does it look like if we are able to lead and love them in a way where they are not angry? Because the big idea, the big thesis for the first half of this verse is that anger is the birthplace or what leads to disobedience. That disobedience is found in a child who is angry. If you have a child who is not obeying, anger has something to do with it. And where did that anger come from? And so we're going to address the root issue, the heart issue, of how we parent, how we lead our families, how we lead ourselves in such a way that we're not inspiring anger in those that are around us, specifically those that we are in charge of in this immediate context our children, understanding that anger is what inspires disobedience. And we all know that that is destructive. It does not lead to getting up and going to bed well. And so that's a biblical context. That's a biblical framework for what we're going to be talking about this week and next. And I wanted uh, a special part of our time this morning and next week to be dedicated to some very practical, uh, easy to understand and easy to apply guidance when it comes to how can we lower the anger level in our children's lives and inspire their obedience? Now, to do so, I've called upon someone to help me this morning to teach through a part of this uh, biblical context. Someone who has spent her life working with children, uh, not only as a mom and a child herself, but also as a professional educator, and now one of the most highest trained behavior analysts in Eastern Connecticut. It's her job to study behavior and understand how behavior impacts our family routines. And so for the next few minutes, would you join me in welcoming my wife, a behavior analyst, to the platform. So we don't have the perfect marriage, we don't have perfect children, but my wife does have a unique skill set, and I think you'll find some practical and helpful tips as for the next few moments she kind of unpacks some ways to understand what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 has to say to us. Okay. So we've all been there, right? We have, it's like 5 o'clock in the morning, and the kids are awake. And there's no reason for the kids to be awake at 5 o'clock in the morning, but here they are, awake. You're hoping to get a few more minutes of sleep, so you let them turn on the TV because it's going to save your life. So, um, here you are. Kids are watching TV. Finally, you get up. Now it's time to get ready for school. And you say, okay, kids, get dressed, eat your breakfast, brush your teeth, put your shoes on. It's time for school. Now, your child has been awake for a, a good two hours now. And so you're doing the things you need to do. Maybe you're getting yourself ready for work. 
Maybe you are um, trying to get their breakfast ready. You're trying to put away the dishes. Maybe some laundry if you're really ambitious. I don't ever do laundry in the morning, but some people do things like that. I don't know. Um, so, okay, now it's like 15 minutes till the school bus comes, right? So you haven't heard much from your child, and you go to check, and you find your child in their bedroom, surrounded by a pile of Legos with exactly one sock on and nothing else. And you're like, I am going to lose my mind right now. It's happened if you, even if you're not a parent, if you've ever been in, ta- in charge of a child for a few minutes, this has happened to you in like one variation or another. But this is how it goes with children. You say, here's your, do the things. Get dressed, brush your teeth, put your shoes on, eat your breakfast. Like this isn't hard, right? Like you just do it. You don't have to think about it. And then, no, it doesn't actually happen. And you think, why is this so hard? And so now it's about time for the bus to come to the end of the driveway. And so one of two things happens. Either way, you're getting your child dressed at this point. And you're thinking, he's nine, I shouldn't have to dress him. So you're getting your child dressed. Either they're just sitting there like a spaghetti lump, or they're actually fighting you every step of the way. Like, it goes one way or the other, depending. Um, so you're frantically trying to get clothes onto them. You, at this point, really, who cares about brushing teeth? Because the bus is coming in two minutes. And um, you, like, throw, like, a granola bar at them or something, and you're going to call it breakfast, and you're hoping that there's breakfast at school. Usually there is. There's yelling, there's crying, you're not even really sure who's doing which at this point. Like, it's, and then you shove your child out the door, they go running down the driveway, and that was your morning. Has anyone been there? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we've all been there. So, how do we not end up there every day? That's I think what we're all looking for. No one wants to start their day that way. Your kids don't want to start their day that way. You don't want to start your day that way. Like, no one's actually looking for that. Like, I hope I can yell at my kids this morning. That's what I really want. So, um, what we want to do is, like, these are things that have to be done. But we want to find a way to be able to do them without all the yelling. Because really... If yelling would fix it, it would already be fixed. Like, we've tried that, right? Did it actually work? No, because the next day you're doing the same thing again. So, um, what we want to do is, in order to not stir up anger and frustration in our children, is to make obedience easy. And that's our first step. We want to make obedience easy, and the way we do that is by breaking things down into little tasks. So, 
um, for a lot of us, we think, well, like it's already a little task, right? Like just get ready and go to school. But for our kids, it's much more complicated than that. Like I have times, I hate the grocery store. I don't know if anyone feels the way I do about the grocery store, but I hate it. Um, so it's not even a place that I want to be. But sometimes I'm like in a hurry. I'm like, okay, I just have to stop and go in the grocery store and grab a couple things, and then I'll come right out. And I only have five minutes. And I get into the grocery store, and I'm wandering, and I'm like sucked into the black hole of the grocery store. And I forget that I'm even supposed to be in a hurry. I'm like, there are all these things, and what did I even need? And I feel like sometimes that happens to our children when we tell them to get dressed. Like, it seems simple, right? And they're like, okay, I'll hurry, I'll get dressed. And then all of a sudden, there are Legos, and there's the TV, and what was I supposed to be doing again? So, what I've found works really well is to have some kind of visual reminder. Um, so, I think we have a little picture here. Look how cute he was. Aww, everyone say aww. So there's Ezra, and you can't really see the words, but you can see there are some charts on the side of the refrigerator there. And um, we have Benaya's morning list and Benaya's afternoon list, and then there's Ezra's morning list and Ezra's afternoon list. And they have little smiley faces once they did the thing, they put the smiley face. Um, things. So it helped them to keep track of the things that they needed to do. So the good news is they are not still using these lists. So um, I haven't seen these lists in many years. But they started with simple things like, um, you know, get dressed, brush your teeth, comb your hair, eat breakfast, put your shoes on. But shoes are like the worst. I, why is it so hard? But the shoes are never on. Even now, I'm like, are you ready to go? Oh, I'm just putting my shoes on. I don't know. Um, so if we can break things into small, manageable tasks for our children, then obedience is much more likely. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth and tell you that making a chart does not magically make your children do all the things. Um, it makes it easier. They know exactly what's expected, and they can see whether they've done the things or not. But I've talked to, I work in schools, and I work with families in their homes, and I say, okay, you know, let's start with this chart, and I write up a whole thing about it, and they're like, oh, we tried and tried, it didn't work. And I'm like, well, tell me, like, what did that look like when you used the chart? And they're like, well, we put it up on the fridge and we said, here's the things, do the things. Okay, I'm not really surprised that that didn't work because just making a list doesn't, how many of you have ever made yourselves a to-do list and then you didn't actually do the things on the list? Yeah, like, that's my life, actually. Um, so
So just because there's a list doesn't make it magically happen. So um, God has given parents a special gift, and it's called a timer. The timer is the best thing that was ever invented. And what's even better is, like, you always have one with you now because of your phone. Like, there's a timer on there. Did you even know that? There's a stopwatch. It counts laps. There's, like, a timer. There's, like, so many things. You can set alarms to go off every 15 seconds if you need to. Um, so... This is your best friend, because what you can do is say, hey, let's look at your list. Okay, the first thing on your list is get dressed. And then you can say, now, for some people, you'll be able to say, okay, go get dressed. I'm going to set my timer. I'm going to see how long it takes you. Come back when you're dressed. And then some kids, you won't ever see them again, because... The Legos are still there, and they've got their one sock on, and they thought they were done. So you have to break it down into something smaller. And you might have to, at the beginning, actually stand there with them. Okay, I'm timing you, because they'll get sucked into the black hole vortex of what was I supposed to be doing again. It's not always that they're, sometimes yes, but it's not always that they're being intentionally disobedient. They really just can't remember. Even though they're halfway dressed, they can't remember that they're supposed to be getting dressed. It's a real thing. So, um, you might have to stand there next to them and say, okay, I've got my timer on. Let's see how fast you can get your socks on. And then, oh my goodness, it only took you 45 seconds to get your socks on. Okay, let's see if you can get your shirt on now. And um, at the beginning, you might need to break it down that small for them, and you might need to stand right there next to them at first to help them develop that habit, because what we're trying to do is teach a new skill. And you're saying, well, it's not a new skill. He knows how to dress himself, but the skill of getting dressed in a timely fashion at the time that you need the dressing to take place is the skill that they don't have. So you're helping them develop a new skill. So you have to actually teach it. Because if just saying it worked, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? Because you've tried just saying it. You've tried yelling it at the top of your lungs. And it hasn't done the job. So um, the first step is to make it easy. Break it down into small tasks, have some kind of visual reminder. Then your second step is to make obedience expected. And to make it expected, you have to monitor progress. So that's what I was talking about with the timer. You have to see, are we making progress? Are we getting there little by little? Um, and you can definitely kind of, you know, think about the things. Maybe it's not getting the socks on at your house. Maybe it's something else. But um, breaking it down into small pieces and then actually making sure along the way that those things are getting done is where you need to start. 
So um, you have to follow through with your directions. Now, um, here's the thing that may have happened at your house. It's possible that it happened at my house once. Um, that you give a direction and then you go about your business because you have other things you're trying to do. And then you look and the child is still sitting exactly where they started and nothing has happened. So you give the direction again a little bit louder. And then you go about your business and nothing happens. So then you give the direction again a little bit louder. And you go about your business and still nothing has happened. So now you're yelling. And then the kids are like, oh, I think she means it this time. Maybe I better do the thing. And so what we have accidentally done, we never intended to do this, but we, we taught the kids not to listen until we yell. Um, and no one sets about with, like, that's my plan. Like, oh, here's my plan for parenting. I'm going to teach my kids not to listen until I yell. But we do it accidentally because that's what happens. So one thing you want to think about with monitoring progress is you give the direction once and then you expect that they actually follow it then. And it might mean you have to stop the other things that you're doing for a little while to have them actually do the thing. Like at first, it might require a lot of supervision to get the thing actually done. Um, Again, the timer is your best friend because you can make it into a game. A lot of times people think like parenting and fun can't really go together. Like either you're letting the kids do whatever they want or you're making them do what you want and no one's allowed to have any fun. But if you can, you all know Mary Poppins, right? So I think she was secretly a behavior analyst because her whole spoonful of sugar thing, like that actually works really well. So if you can find a way to make it more fun, then it's a lot more likely to happen. If you think about your own life and things that you have to do, if they're enjoyable, you're a lot more likely to do them than if they're not. So if you think about, um, monitoring progress, but trying to make it fun, like, oh, let's see if we can beat your time from yesterday. Um, or say, oh, well, as soon as you're ready for school, if you have extra time, you'll be able to watch TV for a few minutes or play a video game for a few minutes before the bus comes. So if you remove that as a distraction at the beginning, and then it's available at the end when everything is done, you might be really surprised how much faster things happen. Um, so I think we have one more adorable picture of Ezra here. And this is him actually using his chart. So, um, and I have no idea why like 10 years ago I was taking pictures of this because I wasn't really planning ahead for this talk. But, um, when you, if you develop the chart, you have to actually consistently use it. And then, you know, instead of saying, oh, did you do the thing? Did you do the thing? You can just say, check your chart. Let's see 
you know, what needs to happen next? And that way they start to develop some independence that way too, rather than always relying on you to be yelling the directions. And then the last thing that we're going to talk about today is making obedience exemplified. So, um, you want to model the behavior that you want to see from your children. So, the bad news is that you're doing this anyway, whether you're doing it on purpose or not. Um, however you relate to the people in your household, that's what you're teaching your children to do. Now, there are some days that's great. You're like, yes, I want them to be exactly like me. And then there are other days you're like, oh, I hope they weren't looking. Um, but they are. Um, and so the way you respond when someone asks you to do something is the way your children are going to respond when you ask them to do something. So if you are kind and gracious and patient, then your children will learn to be that way. If you are cranky and irritable and say, leave me alone, guess what you'll hear from your children? Those exact same things. So it's great because they're like little sponges and they want to be exactly like you. But it's terrible because they're like little sponges and they want to be exactly like you. So um, it's really inconvenient to have to be the grown-up all the time. But you're actually the grown-up. So um, we need to model the response that we want to see from our kids. So if your spouse says, hey, could you do the thing for me? And you're like, what? I have 12,000 other things I have to do. How? Like, I don't have time for that. Well, um, what are you teaching your children to say when someone asks them to do something? So if you say, hey, I'm really busy right now, but as soon as I have a chance, I'll do it. Which response would you rather hear from your kids? Um, when your kids ask you again for a snack, and it's like dinner time, like you're actually dishing dinner onto the plates, and the kids are like, but I want a snack, I want a snack, and you're like, stop it, leave me alone, I'm making dinner. Um, what's going to happen when you say, hey, can you go clean up your bedroom, they're going to say, stop it, leave me alone, I'm trying to play my game. Well, that's not the response you want from them. So, when they're asking for a snack, you have to think, hmm, what kind of response do I want from my kids? And so then you can say, you can't have a snack right now, we're about to eat dinner. You eat all your dinner, then you can have the thing that you want. Um... So, it's the 
It's the modeling of the behavior that you want to see. Um, and a lot of that is all about word choice. Like, the end result is the same. Like, you're not getting a snack. But um, there are so many places in Scripture that speak to us about our words and the way that we say things. Um, so we can, we can make the same point, but use different words to do it. And it makes all the difference in the world. So, um, if you're looking to see less anger in your children, less frustration in your children, try using kind words. You can still say no. And then they like won't even really know that you said no. Um, which it's always kind of fun when you can trick them that way. I mean, really, it's awesome. They're like, oh, thanks, Mom, for not letting me have a snack. Like, <laughs> Um, so, breaking things down into small tasks make obedience easy. Make obedience expected by monitoring progress and checking to see, little by little, step by step, are they doing the thing. Don't wait until it's five minutes before the bus comes to say, I can't believe you're not ready. You have to be checking in at small increments. And then, as they get better and better at it, you can check in less and less frequently. And they'll be like, look, I'm actually ready. And you'll be like, whoa, I can't believe it. Um, and then, make obedience exemplified. Model the response you want to see in the interactions with the other members of your family. That's your behavior analytic moment for today. Thank you very much. One more adorable picture, if I do say so myself. It is me modeling the behavior of my grandfather. As a very little boy, before he ever had a chance to take me to Enchanted Forest, we want to walk closely with our moms and our dads. We want to follow in their footsteps. We want our strides to match their strides. And this begins at a very young age. And to wrap up our time together this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to join me on the platform as we conclude our message this morning. I want to bring it back to the scripture. I want to bring it back to Jesus. Because the bottom line is, as we've taken some time this morning to answer the question, how do we help our children match our stride? How do we help our children Follow us closely with some of the practical ideas and tips that Trish uh, expressed from the world of behavior analysis as we wrap up our time together this morning. In the areas of our lives that matter, what does it look like when we match our stride to Jesus? What does it mean to follow after him closely, even during times where we may not understand exactly what is going on or in times that we might even feel frustrated with our walk of faith? And some great guidance can be found in John chapter 14, specifically in verse 10. 
The context is that Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples. He's preparing himself for Gethsemane, for going to the cross. And he's telling his disciples that I'm going away to a place that I'm going to provide and prepare for you. And I need you to follow after me. And Thomas says, I, we don't know how to follow after you. We don't really, we're not even really sure where you are going. How do we match our stride with yours? How do we walk closely with you? The disciples were preparing for their lives to be what we consider normal, in that we try to follow closely after Jesus, but we don't see him the way the disciples did. This is the context. And so Jesus tells them that he is the way, he is the truth, that he is the life, that he is the way to the Father. And so the concluding big idea this morning, and I'll show you the verse where it comes from, in John chapter 14, to answer the question, how do we match our stride with Jesus? How do we follow closely after Jesus? How do we become more and more like Jesus so that our life is marked by obedience to Jesus and not anger? The answer is, is that the way to do that is found in the words and the works of Jesus himself. Take a listen to this verse here, John chapter 14. Uh, in his conversation with Philip and his good questions after Thomas has had a chance with his questions, Jesus says this, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. You want to know where I'm going? You want to follow closely after me? You want to match me stride for stride? You want your life to be defined by obedience instead of anger? You want to have an idea of how the Heavenly Father is working in your life? Match my words, learn my words, and match my works, learn my works. And so what does that mean for us today? It means for some of us this morning, we may have never thought of humbling ourselves to Jesus Christ and His words or His works at all. And we realize this morning that our life has been more defined by disobedience and anger than it has been by peace and joy and obedience. And it's a simple prayer, it's a simple request, it's a simple conversation. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, I have been marked by disobedience. I have been marked by anger. I live my life in a constant state of frustration because every time I try to do the thing, either I'm doing the wrong thing or I'm going about it in the wrong way. And I feel like time after time after time, I am failing your expectations for my life. And I can prove it in my finances. I can prove it in my marriage. I can prove it in my workplace. I can prove it in my relationships with my children. I can prove it with my academic performance at school. And we just begin to carry around guilt and shame, which causes us to isolate ourselves from other people. And it brings us to a place where we feel like I am not matching my stride with my Heavenly Father at all. So how do I do it? I use Jesus' words. I watch his works, and it sounds like this. Heavenly Father, I do not deserve to be your son or your daughter. I'm tired of living a life that is defined by anger and disobedience. I now place my faith in Jesus Christ. I do the right work, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to guide me into a path of repentance where I'm doing the right thing that's pleasing your heart. Would you help me use my words and my works to please you? For the rest of us who maybe made that decision a long time ago, but continue to struggle with what it looks like to actually follow closely after Jesus, knowing that there are seasons in our lives where we do a better job than this than others, how do we return to where we were and even go beyond where we were in the past and our closeness and our stride matching with Jesus? The answer is watching his words and his works, spending time digging deep in his scripture, 
you might have this question practically, Josh, since that's where we are today. How much of the Bible should I read? And the answer is, you should probably read every day. And you're like, oh, you guys are kidding me. Or listen every day on your commute. Well, how much should I read or listen to? Until you learn something. <laughs> that's probably the best answer. It could be a verse, it could be a chapter, it could be more. But until you felt like your Savior talked to you through the power of His Word, would you spend time in His Word? And as you practice this, you'll see it doesn't take long at all. And as you begin to apply, as we begin to apply His words to our lives, our works begin to mirror His works as well. We want to walk after Jesus. We want to follow in His way. The key to following closely to Jesus is in His works and in His words. We're going to have a time of response, a short time of prayer, and an opportunity to praise the Lord one more time together in His song. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we desire to be the kind of parents that have fun with our kids, that we can take them out in public without being ashamed of them or ourselves. It starts, Father, by paying close attention to your words and your works, because as you bring change into our lives through the power of your word, that change begins to work itself out in every relationship we have. Father, through the promise of your word and the promise of your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, you find us willing to spend more time paying attention to your words and to your works. For some of us, that'll be easy because we haven't been spending any time paying attention to your words or your works. For some of us, it might just simply mean returning to something that we used to do and doing it well, motivating our time with you as the power of the Holy Spirit begins to move and change in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your works. We thank you for the example that Jesus gave us. Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would allow us to become the moms and the dads that you want us to be, that we would be the husbands and the wives that you want us to be, that our households would be marked by the 